0: Well, over the past three weeks, we have been lighting the candles around the Advent wreath in anticipation of Christmas Day when we celebrate together the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so three weeks ago, Michael lit the the candle of hope, it took us to Romans chapter 15. And we saw Paul's words there that described the abundant hope we have in Jesus Christ, not just the sufficient hope, although it is, it's abundant in hope to know the person of Jesus Christ and to celebrate his coming. And then two weeks ago, uh, Dr. Shihadi was here. Dr. Shihadi is from Jordan, and he helped us to see that the love of God is a love for the whole world, for all peoples in the world. And we celebrated with him, lighting the candle of love and celebrating with him what what God is doing at Jordan Evangelical Theological Seminary to train pastors from those Muslim countries that surround Jordan, equip them, an Evangelical Church, and send them back out into their Muslim countries. What a privilege it is to be partnered with Dr. Shahadi. And then last week, uh, we lit the candle of joy, and Lloyd talked about a non-contingent joy, a joy that we find in the incarnation. The presence of God is the presence of joy. And this week, we have the opportunity to light the candle of peace. The peace that we have in the coming of Christ. You know, when I think of peace in my own life, I, I think of calm, quiet. I think peaceful. You know, even, even the word itself is soothing to the soul. <laughs> peace. That sounds wonderful, right? I think of moments for me the peaceful moments for me are at the beach in October. Favorite time to go to the beach. And my favorite time at the beach in October is at the end of the day when the kids have gone back to the house to clean up for dinner and I'm, I'm sitting on the beach, the beach is emptied and I, I watch the sunset on the beach. I do this when I'm there. I sit in my chair, my feet are in the sand. It's just the sand, the waves and the sun setting. That, that's a moment of peace. You know, that moment doesn't last very long and pretty soon I'm, I'm back at the house and we're doing dinner and I'm in the midst of, of chaos again it 's a fleeting moment it comes and goes, and, and you know the truth of the matter is is that even in those moments of of peace there 's still a part of my own heart you know that, that momentary peace it doesn 't totally resolve my unsettled heart or my busy mind it's just it 's just a breath, and life goes on you know this this time of year of course is is a whole new level of chaos right christmas time and in December, I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've asked somebody how they're doing in, in December at Christmas, and, and they said to you, you, you know, everything's just so peaceful right now. Uh, <laughs> haven't had that experience. I just, I, I just took a drive down through Cool Springs, a long drive, <laughs> bumper to bumper, ended up at the mall for a few hours. It was wonderful. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we don't hear that. Billy Graham tells a story about a stressed-out employee who told her boss, when, when this Christmas rush is over, I'm going to have a breakdown. I earned it, I deserve it, and nobody's going to take it from me. Right? <laughs> She's looking for peace. Isn't it interesting, though, that when we think about peace, we, we think about it as the absence of something. Right? Like, when the Christmas rush is over, when I go on vacation and I'm not working for that week, when I finish this project, when I get a break from the kids, when when this conflict in my life is resolved, then I will have some peace. And while those things are are good and even necessary for, for a healthy life, true peace is actually something entirely different altogether. And the Bible says that peace is not momentary. It's not moment to moment. Peace is not circumstantial. It's not when my marriage gets better or when my job gets better or when my finances improve. No, it's not found there. The Bible says that true peace, it can't even really be sought after or acquired. It can't. That's a concept that's foreign to most of us. It's foreign to us. It creates questions in us, questions like, well, well, if that's the case, then then, then is true peace even possible on this if, earth? If that's the case, then then what is peace really, and how do I then experience it? And I'm hoping that as we open the Bible today, we'll be able to answer those questions about peace. And my prayer is that in that, in that, those questions that that we will experience a great hope, great hope in. What we see for true peace is not the absence of something for a moment, no. true peace is the presence of something that lasts forever. Take your Bible out with with me, if you would, and open to to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 18. We're going to look at this in in two sections. This is the, the account, the narrative account of the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Joseph. And from these two sections this morning, we're, we're gonna find two biblical principles that I think will help us to answer our questions about true peace. So Matthew chapter one, verse 18, these two verses first, and then we'll turn later to verses 20 through 23. So follow along with me beginning in 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Here's the narrative account. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, let me just say a word here about betrothal. It, it's a bit more formal than our engagement today, our engagement in our country today. Betrothal is, is actually marriage. Only men and women, they don't live together for a year, and they celebrate this marriage at the end of that year with, with a wedding ceremony. So, so think about it as just a bit more formal. They are already husband and wife, and you'll see them referred to as such as we go on, Okay. Mary has been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, that is intimately or physically, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Now stop there for a few moments. We need to make some observations about these first two verses. It's a gross understatement to say that Joseph found himself in a difficult position, right? And and we can understand this, at least to some degree in our culture today. It's not unlike engagement in this way, in that, you know, somebody is thinking about it and they're going, you know, okay, I'm going to find a ring and then I'm going to prepare this. I'm going to figure out a place where I can make the ask and I'm going to think about what I have to say. And and then then this guy, he, he goes and does it he makes the ask and she says, yes. Oh, thank goodness. I, I was hoping she liked me, right? So he says, yes, so here, here we go. Now, now we're planning for a wedding and there's a wedding date that we set together. And there's this eager anticipation for the wedding day and, and the celebration that is the party that follows and all these things leading up to spending the rest of our life together. And, and your fiance comes to you and says, she's pregnant. It's a tough spot. It's not yours. You're hurt. You feel betrayed. You're disrupted. Your whole life is now a mess. You're angry. You're hurt. You're heartbroken. Deeply disappointed, embarrassed even, humiliated. And the only word you get from your fiancé is, the Holy Spirit did this to me. Well, you go tell the guy that calls himself the Holy Spirit to come on over here. (laughs) Mr. Holy Spirit, right? That's that's all you have. You can feel the angst in Joseph's soul. His life in an instant, it changes from eager anticipation to relationship over. Joseph is not at peace. And yet we see here that Joseph is a righteous man, uh, meaning that he is a man who who observed the religious law of the day. He he was a rule follower. He he listened to the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, and and he obeyed that teaching. A a righteous man was a religious man who wanted to follow God in in very, very specific ways in the first century. To follow the rules was a righteous life. And and the rules, in this case, the law, said that Joseph had to, a man in this position, would have to divorce his wife. And so Joseph, being a religious person or a righteous person, he was intending to do so. But not without compassion, right? Not without some degree of mercy. The the word in verse nineteen for disgrace, that's better English translated as shame. We understand that in the Hebrew to mean shame. Joseph didn't want to shame Mary. He didn't want to publicly humiliate Mary, which would have been the norm for the day. They would meet in the city square and, and Joseph would tell what's happened with his wife and, and he would humiliate her, shame her in front of the culture, of in the community there in the, the town. And, and, and Mary would then wear a label for the rest of her existence in this community. He didn't want to do that, didn't want to go there. So he, he chooses to... Uh, to divorce her privately he chooses to offer some compassion toward mary so we find joseph a a righteous man but not at peace he wasn't experiencing peace you you think about it this way it's like he's totally disrupted by this news he's not doing well as a result of that, doesn't know what to do necessarily with that. He wants to follow the law. He also wants to do right by Mary. He's trying to consider those things and think them through. He's trying to make these things right. He he was a righteous man. He wasn't at peace. He was trying to honor Mary. And and it leads us to our first principle here. It, It makes sense in this context. You know, righteous living doesn't guarantee a peaceful life. See, righteous living is no guarantee of a peaceful life. Joseph was not in any way, shape, or form at peace. Now, we certainly know this principle to be true of Jesus, don't we? Here's a man, the God-man, who comes to earth, who lives a perfect life. It's described as perfect righteousness, meaning that he never walked out of step with God the Father. Never, not once. Perfect righteousness and his perfect righteousness on this earth was met with what? Confrontation, conflict, misunderstanding, ultimately a gruesome death, not peace. Then of course we have Joseph here, man in the midst of a very hurtful situation who's trying to act rightly. and No matter what he does or what he thinks or what he Plans. there's nothing he can do to find peace. You See, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you pray, no matter how many times you open your Bible or you give something to someone else, you offer peace or love or you help to resolve a conflict or you walk rightly, no matter how many times you do that, it will not guarantee your peace. It won't do it. One of the things that concerns me most about the church today, the, the church Big C and, and ours, is, is the undercurrent of self righteousness. It concerns me in my own life. You know, self righteousness is simply a, a moralistic approach to life. It's believing that a good and happy life is, is the result of being a good and moral person, trying to earn our righteousness, earn approval from God such that if we do all the right things and we follow the rules, then God will in turn be good to us and give us peace or success or health or whatever else we may desire. If you grew up in the church, you're a a rare breed if you didn't grow up with some measure of this poor theology. This poor theology that says if There are things that I can do to make God approve of me, to make God approve and to give me what I want. That's just the undercurrent over the last 50, 60 years of the American church. It may have been subtle in churches that you've been in before. It it, it may not have been so obvious to you. It might have been kind of deeply embedded in the church culture. It it may be packaged way better than I just said it, but it was likely there. It, It certainly true to some degree here i believe this for many years believe this growing up that if i would do the right thing in the right way then everything in my life would work out right now now trying to do the right thing in the right way there's 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 not bad in that right but doing it motivated by what it will gain by an outcome that i feel like i can manipulate that's sick that's backwards that's very poor theology that doesn't work it only made me disappointed resentful and tired that's where it leads all of us have a little self-righteousness in here. It's, it's a part of our, our sin nature. And what I would suggest to you this morning is that, is that when our lives feel out of control and we're desperate for some peace, when, when we're there, our tendency through our self-righteousness is then to try and go control some level of circumstances so that we can control the outcome. And when we do that, when we go there, we are only moving further and further away from peace not toward peace. Righteous living, it doesn't guarantee a peaceful life. And self-righteousness, it only distances us more and more from it. Look at this next section, these four verses. We're gonna see a second biblical principle here about peace. Pick it up with me in, in verse 20. But when Joseph had considered this, his plan to send her away privately or secretly, When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived to her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for, key phrase, he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, the prophet Isaiah, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they, Joseph and Mary, shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So so we have here uh, four things. We have an explanation by the angel. Joseph, listen, Mary has not been unfaithful to you. In fact, Mary has conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 2 says, by the mystery of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not normal, right? This is a miracle of God that Mary would be pregnant and she's pregnant with someone who is very special. So we have an explanation by the angel. We have a directive by the angel. Joseph, I want you to take Mary as your wife, We have a second directive by the angel. And the second directive by the angel, the third thing we see in this section is is that the angel directs Joseph not only to marry Mary, Mary, but to name the son, the child that Mary's going to have, Jesus. We see that. And then finally, we have a reference in Matthew chapter 1, a reference to the book of Isaiah. Where Isaiah talks about these things, he, he, he prophesies, he foretells what is coming because he speaks as a messenger on behalf of God in the same way that the angel does. So Isaiah says there will be a child that will be born to a virgin. And his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. It actually points to three different verses in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 10, and then Isaiah chapter 9 Verses 6 and the first part of verse 7. And I want us to turn to Isaiah 9. I just want you to see this for a moment. So keep your place in Matthew because we're coming right back. But turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is right after Psalms and Proverbs, if that helps. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Okay, here's what Isaiah writes. Verse 6, for a child will be born to us. He's writing to the nation of Israel. For a child will be born to us, O great nation. A son will be in time given to us. And get this, the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of peace. This Jesus, this Emmanuel, he'll also be called, he's he's further described as wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. Isaiah looks at the nation. He says, "O nation of Israel, listen, Jesus, the Messiah is coming. And with the arrival of Jesus is the arrival of peace. Now look at verse seven, just the first part. He goes on. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. With the arrival of the prince of peace there will come a peace that this world has never known and it will be a peace that will never ever end. Well how will Jesus do that? How will he then bring peace to a broken world? We'll go back to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 flip back. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. How will Jesus bring peace to a broken world? Here's how. Of course, Mary will bear a son. You, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. Here it is. How will God bring peace? How will Jesus bring peace to a broken world? He will save his people from their sins. Peace comes in the form of salvation. Peace comes when we are reconciled from our sin to God, to right relationship with God. You see, our sin has created this barrier between us and God. Our sin, just simply think our selfishness, our independence, our rebellion from God, that's true for every man and woman who walks the face of the earth. Jesus comes and he brings peace by reconciling that relationship through salvation from our sin. Now, to understand this fully, we, we have to hear these words in the way that Joseph would have heard these words. The first century Jew would have heard these words from the angel. Did you just say, the one who will save us from our sins? Did you just say, Jesus? Name this boy Jesus? The Messiah? Are you, are you talking about the Messiah, the Savior? The promised one from Abraham, promised to Abraham, and then to King David, Babylonian exile. They still were hoping, anticipating the arrival of this Jesus. And now, here we are, first century, and and did you just say that this would be the one? You see, when Joseph heard this, his ears, he's a religious man, right? He's a righteous man. His ears would have been ringing with the psalm. And in particular, Psalm chapter 130. It's gonna go up on the screen behind me so you can see it, but I want you to hear the words the psalmist writes that would have been ringing in Joseph's ears. Here's what the psalmist writes. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Why? For with the Lord, there is loving kindness and with the Lord, the Lord Jesus Is abundant redemption, salvation from sins, is abundant redemption, and He, Jesus Christ, will redeem Israel from all His sins. You want to know peace? You must know Jesus. Peace is a person, peace is He who saves, peace is God with us. Here's the principle. Peace is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. Take a definition of peace that you can carry with you all the rest of your life that says it all in a phrase. Peace is not the absence of something. Vacation. It's the presence of someone. True peace is not found in a day off, not found in a break from the kids. It's not the absence of conflict or stress or financial pressure or struggle or pain. The true peace is the presence of Jesus in the midst of all of it. All of it. Every single circumstance. Every single day. Every single relationship. And now I want to get a little more specific here. And to do that, I want to take us to the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified. This is the last supper, evening before his death. And in this meal, Jesus looks at his 12 disciples and he says some things. At the end of the meal, Jesus has something to say before all this begins to take place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says something about the Father. God the Father. God the Father and I are one. God the Father, I am accomplishing his will over the next day. And over the next three days, I am here to accomplish his will. He says something about God the Father. And then he says something about the Holy Spirit. When I leave, not my death because I will be resurrected, but when I leave, when I ascend to heaven, I will send someone to be with you on my behalf. That's the Holy Spirit. So he talks about the Father and the Spirit. Of course, the Son is present. We have the representation of the Trinity, one God, three persons. And then he looks at his disciples and he says... He speaks to them these words. He says, as I go, I just want to remind you that your life will be filled with trouble. Yes, you can know God through me. Yes, the Spirit will be with you to guide you and prompt you and lead you. But I want you to know to be a follower of mine is to welcome trouble. Pain, hardship, difficulty, sorrow, grief. And he wrapped it up with these words. To his disciples in John sixteen thirty three, these will go up behind me as well. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I have told you disciples these things. I've told you these things about the hardships you will face, so that in me you will have peace. So where do we find peace? so that in me you will find peace, so that you won't be tempted to go to all these circumstances and try to find your peace by ridding yourself of these circumstances. The only place to find peace is in me, the the prince of peace. That's where we find peace. I've told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Uh, Peace is not the absence of trouble. Any follower of Christ today, any proclaimed Christian, any man or woman that decides that they want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and follow him in every aspect of life, that man or woman welcomes trouble just the same. We won't go without it. You could call a promise to those who follow Jesus Christ, it's a certainty. It hurts, it scars it harms, it can feel all-encompassing, but hear me on this, it cannot take your peace. It can't. Not if you know the Prince of Peace. I get very reflective this time of year, December year in, I think back on on the year that's been, 2015. And in this case, in this week, I had a chance with the staff to, to reflect on our year together and in ministry and, and the things that God is doing uh, through the body and beyond, uh, the people that trusted Christ and, and baptism celebrating this life change and uh, a campus at Franklin that is just absolutely thriving and a core group in South Nashville that is so excited to launch something. Some a deep spiritual maturity there and leadership there. And we were celebrating these things together. And, and then I turned it a bit personal uh, for me. And, and I just said, can I, can I make some reflections on my own year, 2015. And it was just four things for me that I, that I shared with them. I just said it this way. My, my 2015 was depression, a broken relationship, a very difficult transition, and a lawsuit, 2015, as I think back on it. And those things, interestingly enough, actually have served to invite me into a deeper peace with Jesus Christ that I have never experienced before. That's the truth. Certainly interruptions in my life. There's an interruption right now in our church's life. But it doesn't have to take our peace. In fact, I could tell you this. This is the truth. 2015 was a great year for me. One of the very best because I have known peace in a way that I have never experienced before. Peace is available to us all. And I'd ask you this this morning, are, are you open to the idea that your unmet expectations, your struggles, your challenges are actually not the things that are preventing you from peace, but the ways that God is inviting you to know the Prince of Peace. Would you be open to that? That these things in our lives, they actually serve a much different purpose than we think. They actually take us deeper or they can. They actually invite us to more, to more in our relationship with God. They actually are the things that I believe God allows in our lives to birth peace in us. You cannot find peace, at least on this earth, in the four things I just mentioned. But I can find peace in the midst of them if I know my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can as well. How do you experience it? Only by placing our trust in Him. You know, it's it's interesting. Certainly it's true for those who would first believe and trust Christ. They actually experience a sense of peace or the Prince of Peace for the first time. But it's also true for those of us who know Christ that when we place our trust in him in every single aspect of our lives and in every single unmet expectation or hope for outcome or challenge or relational conflict, whatever it may be, in every single one of those, if we will submit our lives, if we will trust him in that, just turn it over to him, whatever feels like it's out of control and then we attempt to go to try to control it, whatever that is in our lives, if we will just step back for a moment, open our hands, and ask God to, to handle what only He can handle, trust Him to do it in every part of our heart, then we will know peace. We will know peace in an absolute and powerful way. True peace, it can't be bought, it can't be acquired, it can only be received from the Prince. See, peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of the one who has overcome the world already. And that overcoming will be made full in just a little while. May we suffer trouble and no peace. I want you to take just a minute right now and and I want you to think of one, one part of your life, one thing in your life that seems to be disrupting your peace right now? Two or three or four might come to mind, but at least get to one. What's something in your life that's just edging its way in and it feels peaceless? I want you just to think about that for a moment. Everybody get to one, if you would. Then I'm gonna invite you to do something with it. So take just a moment personally. Now with that thing in the back of your mind, would you pray with me for just a moment? I'm going to read some words from Paul and then we'll pray together. Let these words wash over you. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, every circumstance. By prayer and supplication, that is, submission to God, by everything, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Would you take a minute just to pray personally? Ask God in this one prayer, not to change your circumstance, but that in that circumstance, you might know the one who is peace. Would you pray that? Father, I pray on behalf of us all, not that you would necessarily change our circumstances, although we know you hear us when we do pray that. But in this moment, this circumstance, this Christmas, whatever is carried into the room this morning, I pray that we would be a people who trust your son, Jesus, who is peace in the midst of all of us. Lord, may we never have another moment of calm on this earth if it means that we miss out on the true peace that is only found in you. And Lord, we would be so bold to pray that trouble would come if it means that we would trust you more and more. Amen.